into November. And Father, as we study a new book here tonight, I just pray that uh, you would just bless our time in the study of the Word of God. I do pray that um, Travis would feel better uh, as uh, he's uh, been dealing with a cold, and, and um, I just pray for um, just uh, your healing on those who aren't feeling well or perhaps uh, are going through difficulties. And and Lord, we know you love us, and you desire to speak to us tonight, and I thank you that we can be here to be encouraged in your word as we go over uh, this story, this account here in the book of Jonah that is real, and that is true. Even Jesus said it happened, and I pray that uh, we would just be uh, receiving from you um, just instruction and correction, even reproof, um, in how we can be equipped uh, to just... Um, follow after you and know you more in Jesus' name. Amen. So the book of Jonah, uh, most of you know, are very familiar with this book, even non-Christians and those who, uh, you know, um, are not believers, they know of Jonah being swallowed by, uh, some say, a whale or a large fish. And it's a controversial book for uh, different reasons. There are some that say, that it is just a story that's an allegory. It didn't really happen. Uh, and they put doubt into the story of Jonah because he ended up being swallowed by a very large fish or by a whale. could have been a whale, but he was in the belly of that fish for three days and three nights. And so um, it didn't really happen. Uh, if we can believe the first verse of the Bible, that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, if, and we do believe that, if we can believe the first verse of the Bible, then we can believe the rest of the Bible, the miracles that take place. That's number one. Because he's the creator of heaven and earth. He created uh, this world. And I have no problem with God creating a large fish to come alongside of that boat at the moment that Jonah is thrown overboard to be able to sustain him for three days. And so I have no problem with that. The second thing, and this is... What really confirms it for me is Jesus spoke about Jonah. The Pharisees, as you recall, as we've been going through Matthew's gospel, came to Jesus and said, show us a sign. They wanted to see some spectacular sign. They wanted to see fire from heaven. They wanted to see the Sea of Galilee part, something like that. Prove that you're the Messiah. Prove that you've come from heaven. We want to see some spectacular sign which was interesting because Jesus had been healing every kind of sickness and disease. The people were marveling. But yet they kept pushing him. And Jesus said that no sign is going to be given to you except for the sign of Jonah. And just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the heart of a large fish, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So Jesus puts his stamp of approval on Jonah that it really happened and he says that's likened to the sign of the resurrection which is the very foundation of our faith so Jonah was a real prophet of God and the story that we have before us is real it's not just spirituals not just allegory this really took place the things that we are going to read so uh, the other thing too before we get into Jonah and begin to read this um, I hope that you haven't turned off the study because Sometimes, as Christians, when we get into a book that we're very familiar with, or we look at an account in the Gospels that we're very familiar with, that we can tend to think, I've heard this a hundred times, I know the story, I know the chapters, I know how it ends, 
um, there's really nothing for me to learn. And I pray that we never have that mindset and heart because the Lord always desires to bring refreshing understanding to us, maybe perhaps uh, to give us even uh, more understanding than what we had before. So we never want to close ourselves to the scriptures and thinking, well, I know that story. I don't like when we have the Christmas story, Luke chapter 2, as we'll be making mention of that, I'm sure, when we have our Christmas Eve services, that we think, I know the story. In in those days, the decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all should, you know, be registered for taxes and how Joseph and Mary had to go to Bethlehem. But the Lord always wants to refresh our hearts with his word and give us fresh understanding. And I believe he wants to do that as we go through this book, the book of Jonah. So he was a real prophet. The story we have before us is real. The Lord wants to minister to our hearts. As we read in chapter 1, verse 1, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittiah, saying, verse 2, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Jonah, we are told from 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25, was a prophet in the northern kingdom of Israel during the reign of Jeroboam II. Now that may ring a bell with you because we've talked about Jeroboam II. Jeroboam II was ruling the house of Israel, those ten northern tribes, at a time where there was prosperity. They were doing well. They were strong militarily. Externally, things seemed to be, be going well. And we know that Hosea was on the scene during the reign of Jeroboam uh, II, as well as Amos. And we've looked at those books just recently. So the nation was strong. It was at a time that the Assyrians, and we've talked a lot about the Assyrians going through the books of the prophets, how they came to power and they would eventually take the ten northern tribes off into captivity in about 722 B.C., But Jonah, his ministry here would be between about 790 and 750 B.C. Uh, He is from the city of Gath-Hefer, which is around Nazareth. He was from the tribe of Zebulun, which, of course, was part of the northern kingdom of Israel. His name means dove. So he is called by God to arise. He says, you are to, Jonah, arise and you go to the city of Nineveh, which is described as a great city. We're going to see that it was such a great city that it, it takes an individual and it would take him three days to walk through the city. The population of the city was over a million people, which was a huge city in ancient times and second only to the size, uh, only, only in size to Babylon. And it was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. Now, during this time that he is ministering, during Jeroboam II, the Assyrians are beginning to decline in power. They're, they're powerful right now. But as most of you know, there's going to be revival that's going to come to the city. So Jonah was called by God to go to this wicked city to cry out against it. Notice in in, uh, the text here in verse 2, this great city, he was under divine instruction and authority to preach and to rebuke them for the judgment of God would come to them. And we will see that the Assyrian king in chapter 3, of course, will acknowledge that they were evil, they were wicked, and they were violent. Sephaniah in his book, which we'll be going through not long from now, one of the minor prophets writes that they were carefree. Uh, They had this attitude that they were invincible. And the prophet Nehu uh, would write, 
uh, about their crimes and their cruelty. They were known for their cruelty in war and torturing people. The city was full of idols and temples dedicated to those idols. So we have discussed that in our studies going through the books of the prophets. Isaiah spoke a lot about the Assyrians and, and telling the ten northern tribes to repent, turn back to him, that God was strong enough to keep them from going into captivity, but they refused to do that. They refused to turn from those idols, and they would go off into captivity. The Assyrians would skin people alive. They would put fish hooks in your mouths and drag you off into captivity. So they were brutal, and, and they were ones, again, that had the, the attitude, as we see in the book of Isaiah, when you get into those chapters of 36 and, and 37, uh, of Shennacherib and uh, the Assyrians surrounding Jerusalem, and, and just full of pride and, and speaking against Jerusalem, going to destroy Jerusalem, speaking against Hezekiah. Hey, Hezekiah, who's this God that, that of yours? This God of yours hasn't been able to stop us uh, from going and conquering all the nations. None of the other nations, their gods are able to stop us. And, and who are you, Hezekiah, to tell your people to trust in the Lord? And he was just full of pride, uh, Shennacherib, the king of the Assyrians. And, and you need to surrender, and, and we'll give you peace. And there's so many lessons in that, because the enemy is, is very prideful. And, and as we've seen the declarations that are given, the proclamations against those nations, Assyria being one of them, and the other nations, that oftentimes their pride is being spoken of, that God says, I'm going to deal with your pride. Uh, and same with Babylon. So the Assyrians, uh, we know that uh, after this time, you know, it would be at least 50 years later, that it was an angel that came and killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers that had surrounded Jerusalem. Uh, this is after the 10 northern tribes were taken off into captivity, and then the Assyrians again began to decline in power, and then Babylon would come to power about 80, 90 years later after that. So just giving you kind of a timeline historically what was going on. So Jonah, what you're to do at this time, Nineveh is a great city. Uh, they were powerful. They were prideful. You're to cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. We continue reading in verse 3. But Jonah arose and to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down to it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now, oftentimes when I hear teachings is that Jonah was fleeing Nineveh. Here we see that the text, as we read it very carefully, that it is recorded that he was fleeing not from Nineveh. He's fleeing from the presence of the Lord. He doesn't want to hear from the Lord. He wants nothing uh, to, uh, to, to do with the Lord, to hear the voice of the Lord. Um, and he goes to the port city of Joppa. Now, Joppa is on the, the coast where today is Tel Aviv. And when we go on our trips to Israel, we usually stop there uh, at Joppa, and we point it out. And it's just part of Tel Aviv, right there on the coast. Of course, that's where Peter had his vision, where he's on the roof, and he's looking over the Mediterranean Sea, and he sees a sheet full of unclean animals and told to arise and eat. And Peter says, no, I've never eaten anything unclean. And the Lord says, don't call unclean what I have declared to be 
clean and, and it's you know Acts chapter 10 uh, we looked at that um, and, and he, that's Joppa he he here goes to that port city he goes to Joppa he gets on a boat and he hits the Tarshish so he is going the opposite direction now Nineveh would be north of where Israel was to the north and to the east and he's trying to get away from Tarshish as far as he can because he wants to get away from the presence of the Lord now, why is Jonah being disobedient? There's different thoughts on this, and I've heard different thoughts from different commentators and, and Bible teachers. Some say that he was afraid, and that's a possibility because of the wickedness of the, 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 the Assyrians. And he's going to the capital city. It's a great city known for their wickedness, and then he's going to cry out against it as he's going to give a message that they need to repent. They need to turn to the Lord. And he may be afraid in that that they would take him and skin him alive. That's a possibility, uh, and that could play also in a factor. But I think that as we are going to see in chapter 4, that it tells us that when he cried out, you know, judgment's going to come throughout the city, and they repented, that he was upset by that, and he argued with God. I, I, and he, uh, in the beginning of chapter 4, says, you know, I don't want to go, Lord, because I know that you're a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness. And if I preach judgment and they repent, then God's going to forgive them, and I don't want that. He, he wants the, this, this city, this wicked city, and these cruel people to experience the wrath of God. And I think that's a very important lesson here, an application for us, because we can look at certain groups of people. We can look at those who are very cruel as we hear the news today around the world, perhaps as we hear about the Taliban, as we hear about you know, them in Syria over the years, or we hear about terrorists, or we hear about you know, the cartels in Mexico, and we think, Lord, you need to judge them, pour judgment on them. But we know that Jesus came and died for everyone, and it is his desire that none should perish, but all come to repentance, and, and that it is available for them if they turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. And there is a righteous anger when we see the crimes against humanity, how people torture others, what goes on in Africa. And, and I remember being in Sudan, just uh, those, those groups, the terrorist groups that would go in and, and um, you know, terrorize villages and, and put people to death. And it's overwhelming. But God desires for people to repent and turn to him. And we can say, yeah, Lord, you know, they need judgment. And the thing is, is God is perfectly capable to judge people without our help and our applause. We need to be ones that are giving the gospel message and desiring to see people to repent and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice that as we see that when you're, um, you know, running from God here, as we continue to read this, that you cannot hide from God. Tarshish was considered as far as you could go. It was considered the ends of the earth. And when you are running from God, first of all, you cannot hide from him. I think of Psalm 139, uh, and I'll read it to you. Uh, the psalmist David, as he writes about how, you know, where can we go? In, in verse 7, uh, we read, that where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, be, behold, you are there. 
If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. We can't hide from God. And we can't hide our heart from him. Uh, sometimes that, that a Christian will make the mistake if they're involved in sin or the attitude that they have that God doesn't know. You know, nobody sees. Well, God sees. Nothing is hidden from him. He knows the depths of our hearts, our thoughts, uh, and, and we can't hide from him. Second of all, whenever that we are running from God, and that is the emphasis here, he's not just running from Nineveh. He's running from the presence of the Lord, it tells us twice here in, in, verse, uh, in verse 2, that he is going from the presence of the Lord in verse 3 to go to Tarshish, and then at the end again, from the presence of the Lord. So that's emphasized there. And whenever that you are running from the presence of the Lord, whenever you're running from God, Satan will have a boat. He will have a boat all ready to accommodate you. He will accommodate you with a boat or a plane or drugs or alcohol or pleasure. Anything to keep you in the direction that, that you want to go that God doesn't want you to go. So we can't hide from him. Satan is going to accommodate you. Let's continue to read as many of us, again, familiar with this story in verse 4 of chapter 1. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship was about to be broken up. And then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship, had lain down, and was fast asleep. I, I find this fascinating. Jonah is just a stubborn individual. God sends a storm so much that these Phoenicians, who were known for their they're sailing and, and being able to navigate the seas, they cry out to their gods. And, and we think they're Phoenicians. They probably are. And they were uh, sea-bearing uh, individuals, uh, skilled in sailing. So this is a violent storm. They need to lighten up the ship, so they begin to throw the cargo over. Jesus is the one that calms the storm in our lives. But God will allow storms to come into our lives. And here, as he's allowing this storm to come into Jonah's life, is to bring correction to him. If we get off course, if we are running from God, we're involved in sin, we're running from the presence of the Lord, that oftentimes he will allow a storm to come into our lives to get us back on track, to get our attention, he, to bring correction to us. And know this, that when the Lord brings correction or he chastens us, disciplines us, is because of his love for us. He loves us as a loving parent would bring discipline to their children. And he allows those storms to come in to correct us when we are running from him. Because we can't hide from him. We can't run from him. He's there. He sees. He knows. Sometimes he'll allow storms to come in uh, to protect. Uh, and we know that God did that with Noah and his family in the flood. And he will protect us at times from something uh, that he wants to, that something that will come against us. Lord, I want to go that direction. I want to do this thing. And a storm will come to where he will protect us from that thing uh, that uh, is not going to be good for us. Sometimes he'll allow a storm to come into our lives for perseverance, uh, to persevere, to, for growth. Um, Mark chapter 4 uh, 
They needed to know that God was with them in the storm of persecution. Uh, and you can read that. And then also sometimes he'll allow storms that come into our lives actually to direct us. And that's what happened to Paul the Apostle at the end of the book of Acts. He's going to Rome, but the Lord said, you know what, Paul, I'm going to allow you to go through a storm, and the ship's going to break apart, and you're going to, to be washed up on Malta because there's people there that I want to, to be saved. So the Lord will allow storms to come into our lives for different reasons, to perhaps correct us, to protect us, to, to persevere, grow us, um, and to uh, direct us at certain times. So here is Jonah. The storm comes up. This is for correction. He's sleeping in the boat. How stubborn is he? He doesn't care if the boat sinks. He isn't going to go to Nineveh. He had a storm going inside him that I'm sure was, was worse. And here he is. He knew that he was being disobedient. So I don't think that he was really afraid of Nineveh, or at least uh, he, he is not afraid of the storm. He's not afraid that the ship's going to go down. He knows it's pretty bad. They're throwing cargo over. So the captain, verse 6, as we read, came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. So it's sad in a way that these men were calling upon their false gods who could do nothing to help. And the one who had a true relationship with God was sleeping, was sleeping. What about us? What about us? Here he was in a place in the bottom of the boat where no one could see him, where he wouldn't help out with the work that needed to be done. He didn't care if the ship went down. He didn't have a message of hope to give to them. He, he wouldn't call on God because he was asleep. Because he was running from the presence of God. And I pray for you and for me that we would never come to this place where we're asleep spiritually. That we don't care what's going on with people around us. Uh, that, that we don't give a message of hope. That we're not praying for people. Jonah was doing none of that. He was just like, I want nothing to do with Nineveh. I want nothing to do with the Lord. I'm going to be asleep. And of course, we have seen going through our lessons of Matthew particularly when it comes to the return of the Lord, that we're to watch, to be awake, to be discerning, to occupy till he comes. The Lord doesn't want us to be just lethargic spiritually or asleep spiritually or, you know, we don't care um, about others, but we have opportunity to pray for them, to help them in practical ways, to give a message of hope, the cross, Jesus Christ and him crucified, and, and that we are to be alert and we are to be awake. And here Jonah, he was asleep there in the bottom of the boat, just being stubborn, doing his own thing, running from the presence of the Lord. As we read in verse 7, And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know whose causes trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and what people are you? So he said to them, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea in the dry land. So I think that because of, of uh, you know, they had some kind of spiritual belief that they had, here they're thinking, hey, Someone here is the reason for this storm. So they cast lots to determine who it was and it fell on Jonah. Who are you? And Jonah tells the truth. And it's interesting. He does say, I fear God. I do believe in God. Um, I, I am a Hebrew, the God of heaven, 
who made the sea and the dry land. He's the creator of the universe. Jonah's saying he's the true and the living God. And in verse 10, then the, the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, why have you done this? For the men knew that he had fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So Jonah is rebuked. Why have you done this? It reminds me of, remember Abraham was rebuked in the book of Genesis by Pharaoh. Uh, he, he go and uh, as they went to Egypt when there was famine in the land. And he tells Sarah, you, you tell Pharaoh he's going to want to come and take you. So I don't want to get hurt. I don't want them to kill me. So just tell him that you're my sister. And we know that there was deception in that. And he was rebuked by Pharaoh because the Lord visited Pharaoh and said, if you touch Sarah, you're a dead man. I pray that as unbelievers would not look at us and say, why did you do this? Why are you not caring? Why are you being deceptive? Why are you in this sin? We know in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, that there was sin in the church of immorality that Paul writes that it's not even named among the Gentiles. You might recall in 2 Samuel chapter 12, after David had sinned against Bathsheba and he hid it for nine months, and he was guilty of not only adultery, but having Uriah, uh, her husband, killed in battle through deception. And he's guilty of adultery. He's guilty of murder. Nathan the prophet comes and, and addresses David. And David confesses, I, I have sinned. And then David was told by Nathan the prophet that, David, you're forgiven, but you've caused the enemies of God to blaspheme his name. And I know that David was brokenhearted hearing that because he was a man after God's own heart. And whenever a Christian that, that we, and we're not perfect, and we will fail at times, and, and we falter, but I pray that we would be sensitive to the leading of the Lord, that, Lord, I don't want the enemies of God to say that Christian there is such a terrible witness by how they talk and how they act and their carnality and sin, and they don't care, and they're just harsh and judgmental and all of this. We don't want to cause the enemies of God to blaspheme his name. Well, you know, he's a Christian. Why should I become a Christian? I've had people tell me that. I re I've had a few people over the years come in, and, and I'm trying to witness to them. They said, why should I become a Christian? Because I worked with this guy, said he was a Christian, and he was no different than us. What, how he, you know, talked and the filthy words that came out of his mouth, and he would party with us. Why should I become a Christian? I'm already like that. So our witness with what we say and how we live is very, very important to others. And here Jonah is rebuked. Why have you done this? And, and um, you know, uh, the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And then they said to him in verse 11, What shall we do with you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more temp tempestuous. In verse 12, and he said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you, for I know that the great tempest is because of me. So, you know, the, the wind, the storm's getting worse. He's willing to die. He'd rather die than go to Nineveh. So they're going to throw him over. And the sea is going to become calm as the men rode hard to return to land, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more, more tempest 
tempestuous against them. In verse 14, therefore they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life. You do not charge us with innocent blood for you. O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the man feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. So the sailors were not anxious to just throw him overboard. They feared that they would be accountable for throwing a prophet overboard. So they tried to get back to land, but the storm was so bad that they went ahead and threw him overboard because they knew that they were going to go down and that they were going to, you know, perish. And they said, Lord, don't charge us for this, you know. Um, don't cause us, you know, to be um, charges for the innocent blood. Um, and so we're going to toss them overboard. And here's the thing. Sin affects so many people. It affects so many people. And it's not just about us. And if we continue in sin, we end up hurting more people. And sin, you know, can hurt your family, your kids, your spouse, the people around you that love you because of sin, disobedience. And, and it's not just about us. And it affects a whole lot of people. Just as Jonah here, he put the lives of these men in danger because of his disobedience, because of his running from the presence of the Lord, because he would not repent and turn back to the Lord. So as we read that now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And then verse two, uh, 1 of chapter 2, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the fish's belly. And as we read that, I want to end here. We'll, we'll go into chapter 2 and, and perhaps finish next time. But he's in the belly of this fish as they throw him into the sea. The sea would stop its raging and he's swallowed by this, this great fish. It may be a whale or just a, a great fish of some sort. Um, again, Jesus in Matthew chapter 12 said it happened, that he was in the belly of this fish for three days and three, three nights as a sign of the resurrection. So God's word is true. And it's interesting that there are those who will come along and they'll say, well, the, the worldwide flood didn't happen. The story of Noah in the ark well, Jesus, you recall, as we've been in Matthew chapter 24, that Jesus said, just as the coming of the Son of Man is, will be like in the days of Noah. He put his stamp of approval on Noah. He said that Jonah, that that really happened. Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah being destroyed, Jesus said, it will be like the days of Lot. Uh, he mentioned Sodom and Gomorrah uh, being destroyed and being judged. Uh, many of the things that we see, that we read in the Old Testament, the miracles, the accounts that are given to us, that many people will put a doubt on it. The crossing of the Red Sea. Uh, the scripture confirms it. And we know that Jesus would put his stamp of approval on many of the events that people try to put doubt on. And, and this is one of them. Uh, we do know that there have been examples uh, in, um, in history of somebody who's been swallowed by a large fish and survived in it. Uh, there was an example um, of uh, somebody in the 1920s, uh, Dr. Harry Rimmer, president of Research Science uh, Bureau of Los Angeles. He writes of a case of an English sailor that was swallowed by a 
gigantic shark in the English Channel, and he was there, and I won't read it all to you, but when the shark was opened up, they, they, after one of the sailors was uh, overboard, uh, the sailor um, would, uh, of that boat, they would uh, harpoon one of the, the sharks. The sailor fell over, um, and the shark turned and engulfed him. But after 48 hours, the fish was sighted, and they, they harpooned it, and it was opened up, and they found the man unconscious. He was alive. He was there. He was rushed to a hospital where he was found from suffering from shock alone, and a few hours later was discharged as being physically fit. So he was in that large shark for two days. That is something that was documented. Um, other uh, documentations of those who in the Falkland Islands in 1891 of somebody who was swallowed uh, for a couple days by a large fish um, and they opened the stomach and sure enough that sailor uh, was there. He was unconscious but uh, he uh, was treated to a bath of seawater and, and he was revived. So you can look up these examples but here's the thing that I want to end with uh, as we end here tonight. We're going to end here at this chapter and then we'll pick it up next time. But it says that he was in the belly of that fish for three days and three nights. And again, once in a while I hear people, he's praying for three days and three nights. That's not what the text said. In verse 1 it says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord. Jonah it continues to be stubborn here. I mean, here he is in the belly of this large fish. The gastrointestinal juices are all around him. It's you know, smelly. I just picture a piece of seaweed wrapped around his head. Uh, he's getting bleach white uh, from, you know, all of the juices and stuff. It stinks. It, it's like being in Sheol is what he's going to say, like being in hell. It says that he's there for three days uh, and three nights, and then he prayed to the Lord. How stubborn is this, this prophet here? I'm not going to go to Nineveh. I'm not going to go to Nineveh. You know, I don't care if I'm in this whale. Then he cried out to the Lord. You know, the Lord's not going to give up on us. He's going to keep chastening us, and he's going to keep putting the pressure on us to bring us to that point of brokenness to where we call out to him. And sometimes I can think I've been pretty stubborn. This is pretty stubborn. But Lord, I'm not going to pray about this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to talk to you about this. And maybe you're in that situation here tonight. Maybe the Lord's been putting something on your heart. He wants you to go talk to somebody. He wants you to repent of a sin, of an attitude. Maybe he has been dealing with you about something, and you're like, I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to forgive that person. I don't want to do this thing that that you want me to do. I don't want to talk to that person. Uh, I don't want to forgive that person. Whatever the case may be, I don't want to give up this sin. And you're ignoring the Lord. You've been running from the presence of the Lord. He's going to keep coming after you and pressing you. And you're going to find yourself in that miserable place to bring you to that point where you cry out to the Lord. Because He desires for you to come to him, to call out to him. And listen, if anyone here listening to this study tonight, that as you are just in a place of trying to flee from the presence of the Lord, you cannot hide from him. You cannot hide your heart from him. He loves you. You're his child. And he desires for you to turn to him and call out to him. 
Don't be stubborn. You're just going to go through a miserable time. And the Lord desires for you to trust him and to rest in him. And Jonah here, he has a heart, you know, problem here. He's going to go to Nineveh, as many of you know. He's going to cry out judgment. But again, the Lord's dealing with his heart. Have a soft heart before the Lord. His ways are true and his ways are right. And desires for you to just be able to look to him and trust him. Don't be stubborn. Don't go to sleep in the bottom of the boat. Look to him wherever he wants you to go, whatever he wants you to do in your life. And God is all-powerful and almighty. And if you are stubborn, he just may deal with you in a way that Jonah to where a way where you feel the pressure and all those things where just, oh, Lord, this is a miserable place. He doesn't want you to remain there. He wants to bring you to that place of peace and joy once again as you call upon him. After three days, he prayed. But at least he prayed, right? So we'll continue this story afterwards uh, next week. As Father, we thank you for chapter 1, such a powerful chapter. We thank you that we can learn once again from Jonah. We can't flee from your presence. Lord, we don't want to be asleep. We don't want to be a bad witness. Lord, we want to be ones that we trust you. And if you tell us to do something that's difficult or we don't want to do, that, Lord, that we would just give our hearts to you. And, Lord, that um, we would learn from you. Lord, um, being a Christian isn't always easy. Maybe it's somebody that we need to talk to that has hurt us. Or maybe it's something that's hard to forgive somebody or letting go of, of a sin. But, Lord, you will chasten us. We can't hide from you. Lord, we can't, um, we can't flee from your presence. Where would we go? And Lord, I pray that we would just yield to you and trust in you and the work that you want to do in our lives. I just pray you bless everyone here tonight and the rest of our week. We thank you that uh, we can study your word. And, and Lord, as we do, as we abide in you, stay close to you and abide in your love, even as Jesus said in John chapter 15, that we will have a fullness of joy. So, Lord, thank you for tonight. Pray you bless everyone here in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, God bless you. Hope to see you on Sundays. We're going to finish the Olivet Discourse.